Section 7 of A Treatise on Bread and Breadmaking. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Tatiana Chichilla. A Treatise on Bread and Breadmaking by Sylvester Graham. Who Should Make Bread? Making Bread by Rule. Bakers. Domestics. Sour Bread. An Anecdote. Mrs. Van Winkle. Bad Bread Need Not Be Made. How Cake Is Made. Bread Making a Drudgery. Excellent example of a mother. Eating bad bread. Importance of having good bread. Who then shall make our bread? For after all that science in its utmost accuracy can do, in ascertaining principles and in laying down rules, there is little certainty that any one who undertakes to make bread merely by rule will be anything like uniformly successful. We may make a batch of bread according to certain rules, and it may prove excellent, and then we may make another batch according to the same rules, which may be very poor. For if we follow our rules ever so closely, there may be some slight differences in the quality or condition of the meal, or the yeast, or something else, which will materially alter the character of the bread, if we do not exercise a proper care and judgment, and vary our operations according as the particular circumstances of the case may require. Correct rules are certainly very valuable, but they can only serve as a general waymark in the art of bread-making. Uniform success can only be secured by the exercise of that mature judgment which is always able to dictate those extemporaneous measures which every exigency and circumstance may require, and such a judgment can only result from a care and attention and experience, which are the offspring of that moral sensibility which duly appreciates the importance of the quality of bread, in relation to the happiness and welfare of those that consume it. Are we to look for such a sensibility in public bakers? Can we expect that they will feel so lively and so strong an interest for our enjoyment, and for our physical and intellectual and moral well-being, that they will exercise all that care and attention and patience, and watch with that untiring vigilance and solicitude in all the progress of their operations, which are indispensably necessary in order to secure us the best of bread? Or can we reasonably expect to find these qualifications in domestics, in those who serve us for hire? Many a female domestic, it is true, can make much better bread than her mistress can. Many a female domestic has an honest and sincere desire to do her duty faithfully, but can she be actuated by those sensibilities and affections which alone can secure that careful attention, that soundness of judgment, that accuracy of operation, without which the best of bread cannot uniformly, if ever, be produced? No, it is the wife, the mother only, she who loves her husband and her children as woman ought to love, and who rightly perceives the relations between the dietetic habits and physical and moral condition of her loved ones, and justly appreciates the importance of good bread to their physical and moral welfare. She alone it is, who will be ever inspired by that cordial and unremitting affection and solicitude, which will excite the vigilance, secure the attention, and prompt the action requisite to success, and essential to the attainment of that maturity of judgment and skillfulness of operation, which are the indispensable attributes of a perfect bread-maker. And could wives and mothers fully comprehend the importance of good bread, in relation to all the bodily and intellectual and moral interests of their husbands and children, and in relation to the domestic and social and civil welfare of mankind, and to their religious prosperity, both for time and eternity, they would estimate the art and duty of bread-making far, far, very far more highly than they do now. They would then realize that, as no one can feel so deep and delicate an interest for their husband's and children's happiness as they do, so no one can be so proper a person to prepare for them that portion of their aliment which requires a degree of care and attention that can only spring from the lively affections and solicitude of a wife and mother. But it is a common thing to hear women say, we cannot always have good bread. If we take ever so much pains, it will sometimes be heavy and sometimes be sour, and sometimes badly baked in spite of all our care. 
it may be true that such things will sometimes happen, even with the best of care, but I believe that there is almost infinitely more poor bread than there is any good excuse for. The truth is, the quality of bread is a matter of too little consideration, and therefore too little care is given to the making of it. Moreover, the sense of taste is so easily vitiated that we can very easily become reconciled to the most offensive gustatory qualities, and even learn to love them, and it is a very common thing to find families so accustomed to sour bread that they have no perception of its acid quality. It is very strange, said a lady to me one day at her dinner table, that some folks always have sour bread and never know it. She then went on to name a number of families in the circle of her acquaintance, who, she said, invariably had sour bread upon their tables when she visited them. And they never, continued she, seem to have the least consciousness that their bread is not perfectly sweet and good. Yet this very lady, at the very moment she was addressing me, had sour bread upon her own table, and although I had for many months been very frequently at her table, I had never found any but sour bread upon it. Still, she was wholly unconscious of the fact. Difficult, however, as most women think it is, to have good bread always, yet there are some women who invariably have excellent bread. I have known such women. The wife of Thomas Van Winkle, Esquire, of the beautiful valley of Boonton, New Jersey, peace to her ashes, was deservedly celebrated throughout the whole circle of her acquaintance for her excellent bread. Few ever ate at her hospitable board once that did not desire to enjoy the privilege again. I know not how often it has been my good fortune to sit at her table, but the times have not been few, and though long past, and she who presided there has slept for years in her grave, yet the remembrance of those times and of those hospitalities awakens in my bosom a deep and fervent sentiment of gratitude while I write. Never at the table of Mrs. Van Winkle did I eat poor bread, and of my numerous acquaintances who had sat at her table, I never heard one say he had eaten poor bread there. Her bread was invariably good. Nay, it was of such quality that it was impossible for anyone to eat of it and not be conscious that he was partaking of bread of extraordinary excellence. Mrs. Van Winkle, I said to her one day, while I was feasting on her delicious bread, tell me truly, is there either a miracle or mystery in this matter of bread-making, by which you are enabled to have such excellent bread upon your table at all times, while I rarely ever find bread equally good at any other table, and at ninety-nine tables in a hundred I almost invariably find poor bread? Is it necessarily so? Is it not possible for people, by any means, to have good bread uniformly? There is no necessity for having poor bread at any time, if those who make it will give proper care and attention to their business, replied Mrs. Van Winkle confidently. The truth is, continued she, most people attach very little importance to the quality of their bread, and therefore they give little care to the preparation of it. If every woman would see that her flour is sweet and good, that her yeast is fresh and lively, that her bread trough is kept perfectly clean and sweet, that her dough is properly mixed and thoroughly kneaded, and kept at a proper temperature, and at the proper time molded into the loaf and put into the oven, which has been properly heated, and there properly baked, then good bread would be as common as poor bread now is. But while there is such perfect carelessness and negligence about the matter, it is not surprising that bread should generally be poor. Mrs. Van Winkle was undoubtedly correct. If anything like the care were given to bread-making that its real importance demands, a loaf of poor bread would rarely be met with. Indeed, if the same degree of care were given to bread-making, that is devoted to the making of cakes and pastry, we should far more generally be blessed with good bread. Who does not know that as soon as girls are old enough to go into company and to give parties, they begin to notice with great interest the qualities of the different kinds of cake and pastry which they meet with, and whenever they should find anything very nice, they are exceedingly curious to learn precisely how it was made. And lest memory should be treacherous, they will carefully write down the exact rules for mixing and cooking it, so many pounds of flour, so many pounds of butter, so many pounds of sugar, so many eggs, and spice to your taste, the eggs to be beaten so-and-so, the whole mixed so-and-so, and baked in so many minutes, etc., etc. 
and thus with great care and industry they collect and write down in a book which they keep for the purpose all the recipes they can get hold of for making every kind of cake and pastry used in society and when they are preparing for company they rarely if ever order dinah or any other domestic to make their nice cake they do not regard it as a menial office but as a highly genteel employment and their great desire to have their cake and pastry as good as it can be made prompts them to undertake the manufacture of it themselves and during this operation the scales the measures the clock or watch all are brought into requisition the recipe book is placed upon the table before them and carefully consulted and everything is done with the utmost precision and exactitude and vigilance and if the young lady feels any misgiving as to her own judgment or taste or experience she earnestly inquires of ma or some one else who she thinks is capable of giving her advice in so important a manner if in the midst of this employment some one knocks or rings at the door and a young gentleman is announced she is not at all embarrassed but perhaps hastens to the parlor with her delicate hands covered with dough and with an air of complacency and self-satisfaction says good morning frank how do you do i have just engaged in making some cake i hope you will excuse me for a few moments all this shows that she regards the quality of her cake as of very great importance and considers it not only perfectly respectable but highly genteel for a young lady to be employed in making cake but in regard to bread and bread making everything is very different there is none of this early curiosity to learn how to make good bread young ladies do not on every occasion when they find excellent bread carefully and minutely inquire how it was made baked etc and write down the recipe but when a batch of bread is to be made for the family they either leave it for mother or some domestic to make or go about it themselves as some irksome and disreputable piece of drudgery and consequently they turn the task off their hands with as much dispatch and as little trouble as possible if all things happen to be as they should be it is well if not they must answer for the present if the yeast happens to be lively and sweet very luckily if otherwise still it must be used if the dough rises well and is gotten to the oven before it becomes sour very fortunate if not why nobody can avoid mistakes and bread will sometimes be poor in spite of the greatest care and if a batch of miserable bread is the result of such an operation then all that remains to be done is to eat it up as soon as possible and hope for better the next time if frank or charles or edward should call while the young lady is engaged in making bread she is perhaps quite disconcerted and would not for the world have him know what she is doing she sends word to him either that she is out or that she is particularly engaged and begs he will excuse her or if by any means she happens unexpectedly to be caught at her employment she is greatly embarrassed and makes the best apology she can for being engaged in such menial services as a matter of course while such are the views and feelings entertained on this subject and while such is the manner in which this duty is performed it will ever be a mere accident if good bread is made and a mere accident if such girls ever become good bread-makers when they are wives and mothers but if parents and especially mothers could view this matter in its true light how differently would they educate their children they would then feel that grateful as it is to a mother's heart to see her daughters highly refined and elegantly accomplished and able to make the instrument discourse most eloquent music and to transfer living nature with all its truth and beauty and sublimity to the canvas still the art of bread-making when considered in all its relations and intimate connections with human health and prosperity and virtue and happiness and with reference to the natural responsibilities and duties of woman is actually one of the highest and noblest accomplishments that can adorn the female character and then too would they consider it of exceedingly great importance that their daughters should possess this accomplishment even though they may never be in circumstances which will require the exercise of it some eight or nine years since i spent several months in the delightful village of belvedere on the banks of the delaware in pennsylvania while there i enjoyed for a number of weeks the kind hospitality of s s esquire a lawyer and a gentleman of great moral excellence mrs s was born and brought up i believe in philadelphia her father was a man of wealth and she was the only daughter 
and, almost as a matter of course, was indulged in all that she desired. But there were so many of the elements of a good wife and mother in her natural composition that as soon as she entered into those interesting and important relations, she began to devote herself to the duties of them with a sincerity and conscientiousness which could not fail of success. Surrounded as she was with wealth and every comfort and convenience of life, and all of its luxuries that she desired, still she was industrious in her habits, and vigilantly attentive to all the concerns of her household. She usually kept three female domestics, who, by her kind maternal deportment toward them, were warmly attached to her. She had no difficulty in procuring nor in keeping help, because she always treated them in such a manner that they loved to stay with her, and she took much pains to qualify them for the proper discharge of their duties. They evidently loved her, and were sincerely desirous of performing all their services in such a manner as would be pleasing to her. Yet with all these advantages to justify her leaving such a duty to her domestics, Mrs. S. invariably made the family bread with her own hands. Regularly as the baking day came, she went into her kitchen and took her stand beside the bread trough, and mixed and kneaded the dough, and put it in its proper place for rising, and in due time molded it into the loaf and baked it. "'Do you always make your bread, madam?' I inquired one day, as she returned from the performance of that task. "'Invariably,' she replied. "'That is a duty I trust no other person to do for me.' "'But cannot your domestics make good bread?' I asked. "'I have excellent domestics,' answered Mrs. S., "'and they can, perhaps, make as good bread as I can, "'for they have been with me several years, "'and I have taken pains to learn them how to do my work, "'and they are exceedingly faithful and affectionate, "'and are always willing to do all they can to please me, "'but they cannot feel for my husband and my children as I do, "'and therefore they cannot feel that interest which I do "'in always having such bread as my husband and my children will love and enjoy.' Besides, if it were certain their care and vigilance and success in bread-making would always be equal to mine, yet it is wholly uncertain how long they will remain with me. Various circumstances may take place which may cause them to leave me, and bring me into dependence upon those who know not how to make good bread, and therefore I choose to keep my own hand in. But apart from all other considerations, there is a pleasure resulting from the performance of this duty, which richly rewards me for all the labor of it. When my bread is made and brought upon the table, I see my husband and children eat it and enjoy it, and hear them speak of its excellence. It affords me much satisfaction, and I am glad to know that I have contributed so much to their health and happiness. For while my bread is so good that they prefer it to anything else upon the table, there is little danger of their indulging, to any injurious extent, in those articles of food which are less favorable to their health. I need not say that this lady invariably had excellent bread upon her table. But instances of this kind are, I regret to say, extremely rare, even in Christian communities." and therefore when such cases are known they ought to be held up as the most ignoble examples of female virtue and receive such high commendations as their intrinsic merit deserves and such as will be calculated to beget in the minds of others an exalted sense of the dignity and importance of such duties and prompt every wife and mother to the intelligent and affectionate performance of them for it should ever be remembered that though our children while they depend on us for protection are also properly the subjects of our government yet as soon as they are capable of appreciating our authority and our influence they are, like ourselves, moral agents, and ought in all respects to be governed and nurtured as such, and therefore it is not enough that we can give them such bread as we think best for them, and compel them to eat it. But the grand point at which the mother should always aim, in this matter, is to place before her children such bread as is the very best for them, and at the same time to make it the most agreeable to them, and thereby make their duty and their enjoyment perfectly coincide. Let no one therefore say she cannot always have good bread, until she can truly affirm that she has fairly made the experiment, that she has, in view of all its relations and bearings, accurately estimated the importance of the quality of her bread in regard to the welfare of her household, and, with a proper sense of her responsibilities as a wife and mother, has at all times felt that interest and exercised that care and attention which so important a duty demands, and without which it must ever be a mere accident whether her bread is good or bad. 
they that will have good bread, not only for a single time, but uniformly, must make the quality of their bread of sufficient importance in their estimation and feelings to secure the requisite attention to the means by which alone such an end can be made certain. They must not suffer themselves, through carelessness, to get entirely out of bread unexpectedly, and thus be obliged without due preparation to make up a batch of such materials as they may happen to have at hand, and bake it in haste and hurry it to the table. But they must exercise providence and foresight. They must know beforehand when their supply of bread will probably be out, and when they will need to make another batch and they must see beforehand that measures are taken to secure a proper supply of all the requisite materials, see that they are furnished with good meal or flour, and they must be sure to have the best of yeast or leaven when they need it, and when the time comes for them to make their bread, if by any means the yeast should not be good, let them throw it away and make good, before they proceed to make their bread, for it is infinitely better that the family should even do without bread one day, and eat roasted potatoes, than that they should eat poor bread for three or four days, and if, from any cause, the bread should be poor, it is incomparably better to throw it away than to set it upon the table, to disgust the whole family with bread, and drive them to make most of their meal on something else. If a lady can ever find a good excuse for having poor bread, she certainly can find none, except perhaps extreme poverty, for setting her poor bread on the table the second time. Yet too generally women seem to think that as a matter of course, if they, by carelessness or any other means, have been so unlucky as to make a batch of poor bread, their family and friends must share their misfortune and help them eat it up and by this means many a child has had its health seriously impaired, and its constitution injured, and perhaps its moral character ruined, by being driven in early life into pernicious dietetic habits. It was observed many years ago by one of the most eminent and extensive practitioners in New England that during a practice of medicine for thirty years, he had always remarked that in those families where the children were most afflicted with worms, he invariably found poor bread, and that, as a general fact, the converse of this was true that is, in those families where they uniformly had heavy, sour, ill-baked bread, he generally found that the children were afflicted with worms. A careful and extensive observation for a few years would convince every intelligent mind that there is a far more intimate relation between the quality of the bread and the moral character of a family than is generally supposed. "'Keep that man at least ten paces from you who eats no bread with his dinner,' said Lavater in his aphorisms on man. This notion appears to be purely whimsical at first glance, but Lavater was a shrewd observer, and seldom erred in the moral inferences which he drew from the voluntary habits of mankind, and depend upon it, a serious contemplation of this apparent whim discloses a deeper philosophy than is first perceived upon the surface. Whatever may be the cause which turns our children and ourselves away from the dish of bread, and establishes a habitual disregard for it, the effect, though not perhaps in every individual instance yet, as a general fact, is certainly in some degree unfavorable to the physical, and intellectual, and moral, and religious, and social, and civil, and political interests of man. Of all the artificially prepared articles of food which come upon our table, therefore, bread should be that one which, as a general fact, is uniformly preferred by our children and our household, that one, the absence of which they would notice soonest, and feel the most, that one which, however they may enjoy for a time the little variety set before them, they would be most unwilling to dispense with, and which, if they were driven to the necessity, they would prefer to any other dish as a single article of subsistence. To affect this state of things, it is obvious that the quality of the bread must be uniformly excellent, and to secure this, I say again, there must be a judgment, an experience, a skill, a care, a vigilance, which can only spring from the sincere affections of a devoted wife and mother, who accurately perceives and duly appreciates the importance of these things, and, in the lively exercise of a pure and delicate moral sense, feels deeply her responsibilities and is prompted to the performance of her duties. Would to God that this were all true of every wife and mother in our country, in the world! 
that the true relations and interests and responsibilities of life were understood and felt by every human being and all the duties of life properly and faithfully performed. End of section 7.